0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.
1: In a last-minute attempt to stop the U.S. from defaulting for the first time ever on its loan obligations, Congress voted this week to increase the country's debt ceiling by at least $2.1 trillion dollars. The deal includes $917 billion in spending cuts over the next 10 years and the establishment of a congressional committee to reduce the deficit further by $1.5 trillion. Questions remain, however, about what is at stake. Where will these cuts come from? How will social safety nets such as Medicare be affected? And can the country continue to recover from the recession with government spending drastically reduced? To answer these questions and others... Knowledge of Wharton spoke with Wharton professors Olivia S. Mitchell and Kent Smetters. Who are the winners and losers under this deal? Olivia, let's start with you.
2: Well, the winners are probably in the short-term holders of U.S. debt. Uh, Those were the parties both within the U.S., the pension funds, the insurance companies, and outside the U.S., the Chinese, the Japanese, and so forth, that hold U.S. treasuries that had been worried potentially about default. So the fact that the U.S. has now been able to raise the debt ceiling means that the chances of default are much, much lower. The losers may well be a whole variety of groups, individuals and programs which will have to be cut, in order to execute the uh, reductions in spending that Congress has talked about. But we don't quite know yet exactly who those will be.
0: Kent? And I I agree with that. Uh, I don't think the winners are big winners here because the the size of the um, uh, changes are so small in comparison to to what needs to be done. In particular, in in kind of phase one, they'll – cut uh, roughly about a trillion dollars worth of spending. Phase two, if it gets implemented, it's another $2 trillion. Over the next 10 years, we'll spend about $7.5 trillion more than we take in. Um, So, uh, And that's assuming that the Bush tax cuts expire, the AMT, the alternative minimum tax, is allowed to continue to collect more revenue than it currently does and so it this is a it's a very small change relative to kind of what really needs to be done in order to, to make capital markets happy and so there, there those are the winners, but they're, they're pretty small winners at this point. They're, it's still very much wait and see what the government's going to do. And that's where this commission, toward the end of the year, will a lot of emphasis will be placed on that in terms of, do they really come up with something so substantial? And if they don't, then I think you'll see capital markets really respond.
1: Hmm. So, so what would you have preferred to have seen done differently under this plan?
0: Yeah, I would have liked to have seen um, – uh, Probably guys on the right give a little bit more on thinking about uh, tax reform at this point. Um, I think there's enormous opportunity and lot, large consensus to broaden the base and potentially even lower rates. Right now, in the United States, we we tax about 60% of the potential – tax base. I mean, it's much smaller than um, what we see in even other countries. And and the reason why is because the government effectively is helping pay for your mortgage, and it does it through the mortgage interest um, deduction. It's helping pay for your health care, and it does it through giving you the ability to buy your health care kind of pre-tax. Those are government programs that don't show up as revenue, but really do cost us a lot and forced tax rates to be much higher than they need to be. So I would have liked to have seen more revenue with lower rates, and um, that should have been part of the deal.
1: And Olivia, how about you? What would you have argued for differently?
2: I would agree that uh, raising the revenue in sensible ways makes sense. I concur with Kent on that front. I also believe that we had a wonderful opportunity to start taking seriously The pending insolvency of both Social Security and Medicare. Um, If you add up the Social Security liability and the Medicare liabilities, the implicit debt is somewhat over. $100 100 trillion dollars or if you divided that across current taxpayers it'd be about a million dollars per taxpayer it's that long term overhang that really bodes ill for the economy on top of the budget deficit which is about 1.4 trillion sorry what 14.6 trillion uh, which is the national debt, and the deficit, which is $1.4 trillion. So the fact is that these are really Band-Aids, and we haven't dramatically changed people's awareness of the need to reduce spending and raise revenues just to keep the promises we've made in the past.
0: Yeah, and I, I want to add to that. I think that's exactly right. I mean, the, 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 the commission this December really has to do fundamental tackling of the entitlement programs. I mean, that's really the driver uh, uh, of this. And so if they failed to do that, then we're in a, a very serious situation.
1: Why is Medicare uh, in jeopardy under this plan especially? It keeps being raised as, as an instance of where cuts might take place.
2: Well, Medicare and Social Security together represent an enormous portion of federal spending. Annual spending at the U.S. level is about $3.6 trillion. Medicare is about $800 billion, and Social Security is about $700 billion. So those two are the single biggest identifiable programs um, that stick out, quite frankly. Social Security, in some sense, is an easier problem because with some reasonable changes in benefits, structures and perhaps some tax changes, we can bring those problems into that situation into solvency. What is much less clear is how to reduce the rate of increase in medical spending in the face of a very rapidly aging population, which is going to be, quite frankly, quite expensive.
1: Will Social Security be impacted as well, do you think, down the road? Social security,
2: in a sense, has already been impacted by the current recession because, as you know, the uh, government and the administration last December reduced payroll taxes to try to serve as a stimulus, thereby reducing the amount of revenue going in to pay my mother's benefits and many of our elders in the economy. Uh, At the same time, Social Security uh, benefits payments went up because many more people applied for benefits than had been expected. So we're already in a situation where the benefit money going out exceeds the revenue money coming in. And that doesn't bode well for the system in the near future.
1: Well, aside from Medicare and defense, which has been named as a a place where cuts will be made, Kent, where do you What do you think the likeliest targets for cuts will be?
0: Um, are there some? Well, there is not a lot of room <laughs> outside of um, uh, Medicare, or Social Security. And the fact of the matter is, defense, uh, defense really, uh, a lot of people don't really understand. Our defense spending has come down dramatically over the last 30 years. At one time, we are spending about 8 percent of GDP on defense. Today, it is less than half of that. And that is why Secretary Gates, on his way out, was basically saying, you know, do we care about the where the United States stands in the kind of its- world prominence, and so forth. We're, even with the wars in I- Afghanistan and Iraq, we're still spending a lot less in defense than we were during the height of the Cold War. So this is really a Medicare Social Security and, to some extent, Medicaid-type um, um, problem. That's where a lot of focus has to be. And what's just to follow up on Olivia's interesting point on the Social Security, what's not well known is that when um, we did this temporary cut in the tax rate, we actually continued to credit the Social Security Trust Fund as though the payments were being made. And so that just really emphasizes just how much uh, we have to be very careful about the numbers um, that we see. But clearly, Medicare is of all the programs. As Olivia pointed out, it's the one that's growing the fastest. It's also a program that doesn't have as dedicated of a payroll tax the way Social Security has, a, has one, but it's much smaller. But also what makes it very tricky to cut as the nature of the benefit that's being paid. With Social Security, as Ben Olivia pointed out, you know, we could do creative things. Like we could control the growth rate of richer people and uh, on how quickly uh, their benefits grow and maybe even help poor people increase their benefits a little bit faster. But with Medicare, it's not a dollar benefit. It's a, it's a surgery. <laughs> so what do you the government do? So they say, well, pay for half the surgery, and you pay for the other half. I mean, it's a much difficult, more difficult situation. We have to start talking about rationing and all those sorts of things. So it's a very challenging um, circumstance. And, and at the end of the day, we cannot continue with the fee-for-service model. Um, it, that's, that's the fundamental problem. When people don't have the incentive to think about the cost, they'll, they'll just always want the best thing.
1: How will the average person uh, be impacted by this plan over the next several years? What kinds of changes will people notice, do you think, Olivia?
2: Well, unfortunately, the last few years, economic policy uh, have already had a very dire effect on a number of different groups in the economy. Of course, the job market uh, decline and the the large number of unemployed uh, makes it very difficult for young people, but also for baby boomers, people in my generation who are still trying to build up that nest egg, perhaps replace some of the Assets They lost when the stock market crashed, Um, and yet it's turning out to be a lot more difficult than we expected. There's been a tremendous transfer of wealth away from retirees as a result of these low interest rates we've experienced over the last several years. And that's something that a lot of people haven't really realized. That that retirees who used to be able to expect to do well in retirement are really struggling now as a result of the continued recession and the low interest rates. So um, one possibility would of the uh, raising the debt ceiling is that people might still be willing to loan the U.S. money, but it's unlikely in my mind to raise interest rates much, and that therefore it might not help those retirees that were expecting to do better. The other big unknown, of course, in this whole mix is inflation. Um, to the extent that the government does keep printing money, uh, this will put all of us in jeopardy, especially people who are, who've are who been relying on nominal assets, like treasuries, uh, to be able to live on. So there are a lot of groups that are still in pretty dire straits. I'm not sure the raising the debt ceiling is going to change that significantly.
0: Mm. One of the things that um, some people will be shocked about within the next couple of years is that is the AMT, um, the Alternative Minimum Tax, it's something that Congress always fixes on the ad hoc basis. It never does a permanent fix because it's too costly to do that, as well as the Bush tax cuts expire. And that's both middle class, upper income, they all kind of expire. So those two programs cost about $4 trillion over the next 10 years. And so if Congress is really going to cut this $2 trillion, and they want to fix those two programs. They actually have to come up with an additional uh, $6 trillion in cuts altogether. And so that's something that we may not see this AMT fix continuing on. That's something where people will be shocked. Oh, I'm paying this alternative minimum tax now. A lot of the Bush tax cuts, they'll have to finance that somehow under this approach. And that, that's going to be costly for them as well. And so that's kind of the more immediate. And over longer periods of time, I agree with Olivia, it's all about inflation. I mean, and that's something, why would someone care about that now? Well, if you're holding a 30-year treasury... You better care a lot about inflation because, as Olivia pointed out, most of those are not being held in, in inflation-protected securities, which the government does issue. vast majority of it is in stuff that's not inflation-protected. And so people should be thinking about that 30-year Treasury bond. Am I really going to get um, – it's paying four and a quarter, four and a half. Is that really going to cover inflation? Hmm.
1: Some economists have noted that drastic re- reductions in government spending will stall growth and will further injure the economy. So instead of this being sort of a a fix in the longer term, it's going to actually cause more damage. Do you agree with that perspective? Olivia?
2: My sense is that the damage was done, has been done a long time ago, that this current tempest around raising the debt ceiling is um, maybe the logical ending of a series of discussions. But the fact was, uh, ten years ago, when I served on the President's Commission to Strengthen Social Security, we had already been raising to the public uh, opinion, to the public eye, the fact that social security was facing insolvency, that many other programs were as well, and we had back then an opportunity to start to fix things gradually, so we would never get to the the problem that we have arrived at today, and yet it was ignored ten years ago, 987, and so forth. Um We've already, by virtue of coming to where we've come, um, arrived at a much more uncertainty, an environment of more risk, where not only Americans but people in the rest of the world don't trust the full faith and credit of the government as much anymore. Um, and I find that a very sorry state because we have still, I think, one of the best financial systems and strongest economies in the world. But we're not really capitalizing on that. We're, we're sowing uh, a bad impression and, in fact, uh, uncertainty in capital markets everywhere.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it, 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 The economy seems like it's stuck in a, in a rut of sorts. It's kind of between a rock and a hard place. And the reason why is that it's true that if you cut back in government spending, that could have your, your standard um, reductions in demand for goods and services. That could lead us a, a little bit more into a recession. On the other hand, um, the capital markets are so nervous, um, over, especially over time, if we don't fix this problem, that if we continue to spend, higher deficits are also going to mean lots of concern there. And in particular, um, there's absolutely no question – the U.S. government will pay back every dollar it owes. I'm not, uh, I don't question that a- at all. The U.S. government will print enough money to pay back <laughs> every dollar it owes. Um, the real question is, what's the power of the money that it's it's paying back? And that's the concern about inflation. And so the, no president wants to ha- have it happen on his or her watch. But somebody has to bite the bullet and say, you know what? we're going to have to go through some pain of uh, some austerity. We don't use that language in the United States, but really that's what it is. And we actually need to bite the bullet here, reduce spending. It could actually increase the pain in the short run, but that will, in fact, help us in the long run. And and we've had presidents like Ronald Reagan in the early 1980s who said we got to nip inflation in the butt. And so what do we do is that we're going to, go and um, really reduce the the printing of how quickly we're printing money it caused a sharp re- recession, lots of pain, but then we benefited over the long term and that's what we need um, as well.
1: How do you think this agreement is going to impact the next election or vice versa? How do you think the next election will affect the execution of the plan?
2: I think it's all political the institution of the committee whose responsibility it is to cut in the future will be... They will be coming out with some decisions in hopefully in the next year. All of that is going to be extremely nuanced by and attentive to the next election and what the consequences will be. Um, We know that in the Republican uh, side of the House, the Tea Partiers, most of them are quite happy about this uh, resolution of the cap on, on the debt. Um, because they think they won. They got uh, cuts in spending without any increases in revenue. We'll see whether the committee of 12, whose job it is to move the ball forward thereafter, will be able to dislodge parties from their current lines. But I'm quite skeptical of that.
0: Mm. I, I agree. I mean, the obviously, the Republicans' wish list was to continue to have this debate before the election. The, President Obama wanted to make sure... It happened right after the election, the continuation. And so um, in that sense, the Republicans won in the sense that they get to continue this, this debate and so forth. Um, the real question really comes down to President Obama, where he could take this kind of by the reins and say, you know what? It's true when my bipartisan commission last December came out with something, I really didn't support them publicly. I didn't get behind them. I didn't rally for them and so forth. And in, in some sense, I think he lacked a uh, showing of leadership in that because it was actually a very good plan. It didn't solve everything, but it had lots of the basic elements there. This is, I think, an opportunity for him to really step up and in many ways outflank re- some of the Republicans by saying, you know what, we're going to really take – Take some of this. Um, be be fiscally responsible. I'm going to lead the charge here. And his fear about the far left. Abandoning him—it's just not going to happen. I mean, they're going to stick by because they're—they're certainly not going to vote for uh, the Republican candidate. And I don't really buy the idea they're not going to go to the polls. They're going to realize that he's in fact the best person for them. So this is, a, I think, a tremendous opportunity for President Obama. And this could, if he plays it right, could be a very winning position for him.
1: The agreement is supposed to cover the government's borrowing needs until 2013. Hmm. So. Looking ahead, do you think that we'll be in the same spot at that point in time, or do you think we'll maybe have some significant improvement by then? Or is it hard to predict?
0: By same spot, you mean the economy or the budget? We'll
1: be back at square one debating the
0: debt ceiling. Yeah, I think that it really comes down to the two key issues that are going to be the the alternative minimum tax and the Bush tax cuts. In the, in the sense that, if they try to continue those things, um, again they're going to have to somehow come up with a, roughly another four trillion dollars of the next ten years, and so they're not going to be able to come up with that and the two trillion dollars that they promised to figure out in terms of uh, uh, in terms of cuts. And so, um, if but if they try. Then not only will we be potentially in the same spot, we could even be in bigger deficit, you know, uh, uh, two years from now. On. So um, they're going to have to uh, uh, f- figure that that one out very soon.
2: What I would add is that it depends a lot on what happens in the twenty twelve elections. If the Democrats uh, gain a greater majority in both houses, then it's possible that there will be some bigger actions in and not necessitate returning to this discussion in 2013. But my sense is probably the stalemate will continue because the the Republicans have been very effective at making sure the committee will continue to bring it to our attention over the next year. And um, so we may well be in a deeper hole, which really gets us back to the question of what are we going to do in the meanwhile? What are we going to invest in? What are we going to keep our pennies in? As someone who works on pensions and retirement saving, what are retirees going to do? I don't have a good answer.
1: Well, Olivia and Kent, thanks very much for joining us today.
2: Thank you.
0: For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.